Morning Coastal. How you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us this morning, man. We're getting ready to start a brand new series next weekend called Love, Sex, and Rock and Roll. It's our relationship series as a church, and uh, it's going to be incredible. In fact, next weekend, we're actually starting our Saturday night services uh, at 6 p.m., and I want to invite you guys to that on every single one of your is a is a invite cards. And I encourage you, invite your friends, invite your family, invite your coworkers, invite somebody you like to hook up with, single people. It'll help you out, I promise. And uh, we're going to have a good time. But today, everybody say today. Today. Today, today we've got a, a special guest with us. He's one of my best friends. He's an overseer of our church. Mm-hmm. He actually pastors a church in the New England area. You know, one of the things that we like about about Coastal is that we bring winners in. And so we know that, that New England was 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 a <laughs> Patriots fans. Uh, they're definitely Patriots fans. And pastors an incredible church, not only in Worcester, Sutton, in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. They have three campuses, one of the fastest growing churches in America. He's here with his wife, Janelle. Can you guys give a huge, warm welcome and applause for Pastor David Payne? Well, let's get that out of the way real quick. Um, I do love the New England Patriots. Um, We'll just handle that early so you can pay attention the rest of the time. Uh, But I'm originally from Kansas City, and so I'm also a Chiefs fan. I don't know if there are any Chiefs fans in here. Okay. Um, Okay. You hate them too. That's okay. Great to be here. This is awesome. Thanks, TJ. Um, so uh, anyways, but, but I'm not a necessarily a huge football fan, but certainly love the Patriots and uh, their success and all that kind of stuff is great. Um, had a lot of fun watching the Super Bowl and um, love it. But let me just tell you what I love more. I love standing here with you today. And, and let me tell you why. I just uh, Seriously, this is a big deal. Um, some of you have been a part of Coastal for a long time, just because I'm curious, because I don't get to be down here with Pastor TJ and Shayla very often. I'm just curious, how many of you have been a part of Coastal from the very beginning or near the very beginning? Near the very beginning. Okay, that's about how big the church was in the beginning. It's good. Six of you. That's awesome. Um, how many of you were part of Coastal when it was in the high school just, you know, several months ago maybe? Okay, great. How many of you, just because I'm curious, how many of you came to any kind of relationship or growing in a relationship with Jesus as a part of being at Coastal in the movie th- or excuse me, over in the school or in Pompano? Either one. Okay, great. bunch of you here. And then how many of you are in here today that are have gotten connected to Coastal, you're in this room because Coastal is now in this building, in this community. Okay, look at the hands. I just, just, no, no, do me a favor, put your hand up. Seriously, just hold your hand up for a second. I want you to look at something. All of you who've been around, you were at Coastal for a long time, maybe years, maybe, maybe all nine years, almost 10 years, are here. And there are people in this room right now who didn't know that they were going to be in this room now, and you didn't know other than just expectantly what was going to happen as God began to move and fulfill a vision that he put in Pastor TJ and Shayla's heart 10 years ago that you would be positioned to be in this community, growing the people in this community, locking arms with people in this community who are wanting to not only know Jesus but grow in relationship with Jesus and be a witness in a community they didn't even know yet. In fact, you're maybe in here and you're a part of this community and you're still trying to figure that out. Can I just tell you that's one of the things that is absolutely beautiful to me about the culture and nature of this church. 
And that is that broken, hurting, questioning, not sure about it, imperfect, messy people, successful people, broken people can sit side by side in the same place and learn about Jesus together. I want you to look at the person beside you and say, I can see your mess. Go ahead and tell them. Say, I can see your mess. Good. Now look at the person on the other side and say, keep your eyes on your own paper. So I'm just telling you, I'm uh, I, this is such a privilege for me. I get emotional about it. It's a privilege to not only be in this church with friends with TJ and Shayla and watch what God has done, but it's a privilege to be in the house of God, growing together with people who want to kind of move through their mess and allow God to shape them and guide them out of it. So I'm honored to be here. And as TJ said, some of our best friends in the whole world are TJ and Shayla McCormick. Anybody, they, if you can't be friends with TJ and Shayla, you need to see a therapist. That's all I'm saying. They're just incredible people. And I know you love your pastor. Can you give Pastor TJ and Shayla a uh, Faithful, 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 faithful people. Faithful people. And then um, also a person who's faithful is the lady that's sitting right there. And that's my wife. Would you stand up real quick and just say hi? This is my wife, Janelle. Um, Janelle and I have been married for 26 years. We got married when we were nine. So... Um, it's an awesome 26 years together, and uh, she's a New Englander, uh, met her in college, we went to school at Oral Roberts University out in Tulsa, played soccer out there, met her there, and moved up to New England, and um, been in ministry now for 20 years, and uh, Janelle and I planted a church with 40 other people back in 2006, Lifesong Church, and so we've been, we've been building that and growing that um, by God's grace for the last 12, almost 13 years, and excited about what has happened there and one of the things that has sustained me at times in the journey because there are days lots of days lots of Mondays where I wake up and just say I don't want to do this anymore like this you know yesterday sucked just I don't like it this is hard and um, Janelle reminds me about the grace of God and the favor of God and the calling of God not just on our life but on what what God's heart is for the community that he's entrusted to us and when we miss out on what God's heart is then it's easy to make it about us, and when it doesn't go well, and we, we, we get messed up inside, and when it goes really well, we get really prideful inside, and I don't think that just happens to pastors. I think that happens to everybody, and so what I want to talk to you a little bit about today for just a few minutes is about what happens when you fail, and how you feel when you fail, and, I, and you may be in here right now, and you're like, I've never failed in my life. Can I just tell you, you're not welcome here. You just need to go. <laughs> Because there's a lot, of, a lot of us who failed in lots of ways. It may be a, a, a moment of failure. It might be a season of failure. It might have been such a momentous failure that life feels like it's broken and failed. And it might be a marital failure. You might be in the middle of feeling like your marriage is on a, a kind of a, a, a fractured ground. And the chasm is going to open up and swallow you whole. And marital failure is facing you. It could be financial failure. It could be a business failure. It could be an investment failure. It could be, I, I, insert your failure here. How's that for welcome to church? Insert your failure here. But, but I, I've had a few. Janelle and I've had a few in our 26 years of life. Kid issues and church issues and marriage challenges and financial challenges. And there have been some moments of failure where I've looked at me, she's looked at me, <laughs> and thought, I don't know if we can get back from this. What are we going to do with this? And it takes on a lens in our personal being that I think is not only a lie of the devil, but it will cripple you. And so I want you to write down a big idea real quick, and we're going to look at some passages of Scripture in the book of Luke. I want you to write this down. That failure can be a final destination, or it can be the fuel for your future. 
There's a, there is something about failure that is, can be catastrophic and capture you like an anchor that binds you to a moment and a situation and a mindset and it can cripple you or it can be fuel for your future. And here's the thing. The second part sounds really sexy, but it's really hard. To not see failure as something that has chained you forever to a place, but rather as something that can be a launch pad, a fuel for your future. Now, if you have a Bible, I would love it if you open it. I'm going to read uh, out of the New Living Translation. Um, I'm, in, I'm using version. If you use uh, an electronic Bible, would love for you to join me in there. We're going to look at, at two passages of Scripture, maybe three. One in Luke 5. One a little further on in Luke, and then uh, we're going to go back to, to John toward the end. But here's what I want you to understand. This is the baseline for our conversation. If you don't know who Peter is, that's okay. Peter was an important guy. This is the moment where Jesus calls Peter to follow him. And I want you to see this for a minute because it sets up a failure problem. See, most of us, if you know Peter at all, you see Peter as this incredibly successful apostolic launch the church guy, if you know who Peter is. You read all about him in, in Acts and the, the journey and this apostle and this first preaching moment in the book of Acts. And we see Peter. In fact, we hear him referenced in the Catholic Church as the first pope. And I don't want to argue about that right now. He's this great rock. But he's got a reputation that is unbelievably heroic. And most of the time, we focus on his heroism, not his failure and recovery. And everybody wants to be a hero. Look at the person beside you and say, you want to be a hero. Now look at the person on the other side and say, and you are my hero. You started with your spouse, though, didn't you? You started with your spouse. Now you got to say it to somebody else. Okay. So Luke 5, here's the journey. One day as Jesus was preaching on the Sea of Galilee, this is verse 1, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen and left them and they were washing their nets. Now, if you read this story in the book of Matthew, you read the same story in three verses that it takes him about 11 to, to tell because Matthew's writing to people who know they're Jews. He's writing to Hebrews. So the way he explains it is very Hebraic. But, but Luke is not that way. He's explaining it differently in a detailed manner because most of his audience is actually Gentiles, which is why we read from Luke into the book of Acts this journey of Luke, he's, he's, he helps prepare the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. So he actually gathers up his material that he writes. The gospel of Luke gets penned because if you read the very beginning, it says, and I did my research too, and here's what you need to know. It's very unique the way Luke is written. And so he writes this very detailed account. It's important that we, that we see a couple of things here. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets. Another translation says they were mending them, they were fixing them. And verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus says to Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he doesn't tell him why, he just says, I want to go out in the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And when he finished speaking, that is Jesus, he said to Peter, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Peter replied, Master, we worked hard all night and didn't catch anything. For a fisherman, there's a failure. For a fisherman, he's having to acknowledge in this moment to the master who he doesn't yet know as master that he failed in something he's supposed to be faithful in. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. 
And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish he had caught. He has a moment of recognition there that Jesus is who Jesus is. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus said to Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. Another place it says, and follow me. In verse 11 it says, and as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Okay, here's, a, here's what I want you to understand here in, in Luke chapter 5 that we're setting up here. Peter had a moment of encounter with Jesus the very first time in the place where he was supposed to be faithful and what was familiar. Peter was familiar with the water, the fishing boat, the fishing net. The, 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 the weight of it, the importance of it, the details of it, the specifics of it. He had skill set for it. It was what he knew, what he was faithful in, and what he experienced periodic failure at. And Jesus speaks to him in the middle of this moment and says, here's the deal. I know that, that you are coming to recognize some things about me. I want you to come and follow me. And Peter has to make a decision right now, right now. Am I going to stay in the place of familiarity, the thing I know, the skills I have, or am I going to respond to what is a supernatural encounter with God where Jesus looks at him and says, leave it all, follow me. And here's what's crazy. Peter lays down the thing that is most comfortable and familiar, the place of his security. I want you to, I want you to think about that. The place of his security. He lays it down and says, I will go into a place I'm unfamiliar with, a place that doesn't have security. I don't really know you, but what I do know is you supernaturally provided. So I'm going to leave what I think provides for me and follow you. Okay. A defining moment for Peter. Now, the, the story of Peter goes on from here. And Peter follows Jesus everywhere. He goes through the life of Christ. He's with him in all of these places of miracles. Peter's watched Jesus provide nets full of fish. And then he watches him provide 5,000 people food and he watches him heal men of their blindness and he watches him provide miraculous intervention in people's lives over and over and over. Peter's with him. In fact, it stirs Peter so much in his journey that he begins to declare things to Jesus about his dedication and his devotion to him. His discipleship becomes declared more than developed. You should write that down. His discipleship becomes more declared than developed. Now, I don't know if you're a declarer or a developer. I don't know. I know there have been seasons of my own life where I am more busy about declaring than I am about developing. Where I'm telling people around me, I'm, 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 I'm telling myself I'm more developed or discipled than I really am. Because the declaration, while our words have power, feels good even though it hasn't necessarily been tested yet. And Peter is saying over and over, Jesus, I want to run with you. I'm devoted to you. I love you. I'm going to run with you. I'm going to protect you. And so if you would, jump over with me toward a, a critical moment in, in, chapter Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 22. We're going to read the story down a little ways. Um, let's go down to verse uh, 31. 31. Luke 22, we come to probably the most familiar portion of scripture in terms of categorical familiarity and that is the moment of the last supper when Jesus is meeting with all of his disciples he's 
walking through this Passover experience, and he's breaking bread with them, and he's passing it around. He's giving them the, the cup of wine. He takes some, some of it himself, and he says, this is my new covenant. This is my body broken for you. He goes through this thing, and he talks about both his betrayal, which is Judas, and then we get down to verse 31. Now, Jesus has walked them through this thing. I'm going to do all this. I've got to go and die. There, there's this whole thing. And then he turns to Peter in verse 31. I want you to see this. Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of us like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now that doesn't sound like a very encouraging set of words. After Peter has walked with Jesus and said, I know that you're the Lord. Who do people say I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. I say you're the son of God. Like Peter's been like in close. And Jesus looks at Peter and tells him, there's going to be this moment. I pleaded in prayer for you that your faith would not fail. That you wouldn't have a moment of failure. And Jesus is aware of some things that are coming that Peter doesn't yet know. But Jesus forecasts them to him a little bit. He says, he says so when you have repented and turned to me again, the outcome of that would then strengthen your brothers. And Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And so Jesus goes and prays. And then we get down to the, the story where it takes place, down in verse 54. And what you need to know is that Jesus has been captured at this moment. And um, in his capture, in Matthew, we read about Jesus from the moment of his capture being beaten. He's punched in the face. He's spat upon by the guards. This, this doesn't all come later. This happens from the moment of his capture. And it's important that you know that because if you don't know that, when you read this story in Luke, one of the most impactful moments in the story will get missed. So I want you to, to be aware. Jesus is up in the garden. The disciples are with him. Peter's there. They come to capture him. They go to take him. And Peter draws a sword, cuts the ear off a guy. Jesus heals him. Peter's demonstrating his commitment, his dedication. I'll fight for you. Jesus gets captured, and they take him away. And on the way to the place they're taking him, you can imagine the guards along the way marching. Somebody uh, pops Jesus in the face. They get to the place we're going, and people begin to beat Jesus. And his face is bloodied. His eye is bulging. He's been spat upon. And then, verse 54, they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. If you have a Bible that's printed, you should highlight those words, at a distance. And then the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and they sat around it, and Peter joined them there. And a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him, and finally she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know Jesus. And after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, I'm not, Peter retorted. And about an hour later, Peter, uh, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, he was, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. So Jesus could see Peter. Peter was in the presence, but he was distant from Jesus. And at the moment of his denial, Jesus turns and looks at him. And he doesn't turn and look at the person beside you. He doesn't look as good as they do. Because his eye is swollen and his cheeks are bruised. And there's blood running down his lip. 
And Jesus, who had told Peter, a moment of failure is ahead of you, but he had predicted there will be repentance and recovery from it. Peter then has the moment of recognition of his failure because Jesus looks at him and it weighs on him instantly what has taken place because he doesn't see the Jesus at the Passover. He sees the Jesus that is bloody. And here's what I want you to write down. We want to treat God and we want God to treat us as if we're close to him. But we often follow Jesus at a distance from him. I don't know anybody that doesn't want God to come close to them in the middle of their pain and their difficulty. When you are facing failure, you are hoping God is close. When you have gotten anchored to a betrayal or a mistake or a a misstep, you want to believe that God is close. But for many of us, the reason we don't feel God close to us is like Peter, he had been following Jesus from a distance. He had walked with him, but because of the difficulty of being affiliated with him, he distanced himself from him. My question for you is how much do we see following Jesus closely as something that will cause us pain and difficulty, and so we don't embrace our proximity to Jesus, even though we want God to be very close to us? In the community that you live in, or the business that you lead or work in, or on the lacrosse field, the soccer field, the tennis court, your association with Jesus could cost you something. It could cost you a risk in your reputation. It could cost you something. And if it doesn't, you may not fully understand yet what Jesus has called you to. But Peter did because Peter had walked with him. In fact, in Luke 5, Jesus said, leave everything and follow me. And it took him an instant to make that decision. But now three years has passed and something in Peter has shifted. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Is that we are often more more confident in our successes, our completeness, than we are familiar with our weaknesses. We have have some things that we're, we're weak in and we overestimate our ability to be faithful and overestimate our commitment and we tend to underestimate the places where we're weak. And this is exactly what Peter had to walk through in the moment of denial. Peter had demonstrated and felt like for three years all he demonstrated and developed was this sense of certainty, this confidence, this dedication, I'm in it. And in the process of it, he began to be unfamiliar with the thing that was the weak place in him where his failure could manifest. Until he came face to face with the reputational conversation. Peter, aren't you affiliated with Jesus? No, 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 not me. And I promise you, the first time he denied it, inside, I promise you, he thought to himself, ooh, that was uncomfortable. I didn't like that feeling. Because every other conversation for the last three years, I've stood strong. I cut off a guy's ear. I fought for Jesus. I declared Jesus. I recognized by the Spirit of God who he was. And now someone says something to me, and I go, oh, no, no, not me. When I'm at church, it's easy to say, Jesus. And when I show up at lunch with a group of other businessmen and someone says, hey, by the way, you go to that church, you go to that Coastal Avenue church over there? No, we, we visited. We don't want to be proximal to Jesus in the places where we're weak. It's easy to step away from, deny, and I would suggest leads to a failure moment because what was tested in Peter actually had to do with Physical pain, not reputational 
pain. Peter knew if he was associated with Jesus, the heretic, the blasphemer, that he would find himself in the same fate, perhaps, that Jesus was under, undergoing, which was arrest and capture. And so he didn't realize that there was a weak spot in him there because he'd walked in this place and he'd overestimated his commitment. But there's a moment where your commitment is going to be tested, not just to your faith, but to your family or other opportunities for failure. And maybe you found yourself breaking in the face of it in the past and you're not sure why and I'm not sure how to come out of it. This is what is fascinating to me is in the moment of Peter's completed failure, deny him. Not me. Man, you don't know what you're talking about. In the book of Matthew, when we read this story, we actually read that Peter says to them, hey, may there be a curse on me if I'm lying. He didn't just say, no, it's not me. He actually invited pain and suffering on his life in the moment of his weakness. Scripture tells us that right after this moment, Peter turns and sees, and Jesus turns and sees, and they make eye contact, and Peter is broken in his failure. It says that he left the campfire and went away, and it, Scripture says that he wept bitterly. Now, some people would say that the reason he wept bitterly is because he had failed, and there was brokenness in him about his sinfulness or brokenness. Others Commentators would say he went away and wept bitterly because he looked at the Jesus who was going through pain and suffering for him and he couldn't even stand in the place of his declaration of association with Jesus. Whatever the case was, Peter went away broken and failing. Now here's the deal. We see that Peter's failed in his journey before and that hasn't changed much. He stayed committed and faithful and proximal to Jesus. But in this case, because of his distance from Jesus and that underestimation of his own weakness, he ends up far from him. I want, just want to say this to you. Peter returns to a place of familiarity when he goes through failure. And we all do. When you go through a place of failure, the thing that brings you a sense of stability, a, a blanket that comforts you, a sense of, of it's, it's, maybe it'll be okay, is something that you're familiar with. It's a place you run to. And that, that familiarity may not be a good thing. Often that familiarity is a place that God has brought you out of but you run back to it. Scripture says it like this, that we, like a dog to his vomit, we return to it. That there's a thing God brings us out of. He calls us away from something, sinfulness, a life, a choice, a thing, and we walk out of it and we're not sure, but we say, okay, God, you were the provider. I don't understand it, but I'm going to follow you. And we start to follow him and we're committed. And then there's a failure and we go, Ugh, I feel like vomiting. And I go back to whatever was familiar and comfortable that I walked away from in order to find proximity to the God who can miraculously supply everything for me. And I go back to it. That's what happened to Peter. Peter said, I go away and I'm weeping bitterly. And then the guards in charge of Jesus continued mocking and beating him. And they began to Ask him to declare the future. Prophesy to us. Now, if this is all you knew of the, the story of Peter, there's some good lessons that we can take away from how Peter engaged, but most of them are, I hope, the idea that I don't, I, I, I'm not alone. The heroes of our faith also had failure moments too. My mistake doesn't keep me in a place of far from God. I mean, 
Jesus knew Peter was going to fail and he called him anyway. Maybe there's some encouragement there. But I, I, I'm hoping that what you're about to see with me in John 21 is not only going to set you free, but is going to cause you to feel more encouragement than you've ever felt in your life. Look at John chapter 21 with me as we, uh, we kind of transition here. This is after Jesus has now been crucified and raised from the dead. And John 21 says this. It says, so later... Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and some others. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. Where was Peter in Luke 5? He was out on the water fishing. Where was Peter when John found him? I mean, when Jesus found him, he was out on the water fishing. He was by the edge of the water. It was what he knew. It was familiar. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the others say to him, we'll come too. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Sounds just like Luke 5 to me. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Now, this isn't Jesus pre-crucifixion. This is Jesus after the resurrection. Shows him he's standing on the beach, and the disciples see him, and Jesus calls out, hey, guys, have you caught any fish? And they yelled, no. And so Jesus said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. Sounds exactly like the moment in Luke 5 when Jesus showed up to them and they said, we haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, go out deeper, put your net out. I promise you're going to catch something. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. The disciple that Jesus loved, that is John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, in his anchored failure, has returned to the place of familiarity to mask the pain of losing his proximity to Jesus. I've failed the Savior. I've failed the Lord. I, I need to go somewhere that will hide and mask it. And the only place I know to go is back to the place that I know what to do and I know how to do it and it's comfortable and familiar. I can turn my, my feelings off. I can turn my soul off. I can turn my mind off. I, I can go back to the place and I can kind of get lost there and I don't have to be reminded and there's not a trigger. And Jesus shows up in the place of his familiarity. He says, you've gone back to a place that you know, but it's not the place that I wanted you. It's the place I've called you from. And Peter said, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was him, he put on his tunic for he had been stripped for work and he jumped into the water and headed to shore. If you know the story of Peter, you know that there was a moment in the journey where Jesus said to him, step out of the boat and walk on the water. And Peter did. But in just a moment, he began to sink. And Jesus helped him back into the boat. The same Peter, maybe the same boat on the same body of water caused Peter to leave the boat, dive into the water. He could care less about walking on it. He had to bridge the distance from him to the Savior. Stayed. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only a hundred yards from shore. I ain't swimming a hundred yards. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a fire. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you caught. So Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. Now remember, they couldn't move the net because it was so full of fish. 
The scripture says there were 153-yard large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. But in this moment, it doesn't take a whole bunch of people to pull the net ashore. Peter goes to the boat, and in the strength of his restored proximity to the Savior, grabs the net and hauls it off the boat and across the shore to where Jesus is cooking the fish. He didn't need six other people. The strength of God's confidence in him is being restored simply because he's come close. after breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than all of these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Everybody say, that's one. Jesus repeated the question, Peter, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. That's two. A third time. Jesus asked him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question, but he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus went back to the place of Peter's familiarity, where Peter tried to mask the failure. And he recreated the context of the failure to restore Peter to the place of confidence. He met Peter around a campfire, which is the place Peter denied Jesus. He met Peter around the campfire and said, do you love me? And Peter said, I do. Not, are you with him? I'm not. He denied him three times, but Jesus asked Peter three times to demonstrate again, Peter, I promise you, your failure does not have to keep you anchored in the absence of your future. It can be the fuel for it because in the moment you say to me, yes, Lord, I love you, around the campfire, you find confidence again, but you discover that your confidence is not in what you've done. It's in my coming and finding you in the place of your failure to launch you back into the calling that I called you out of in Luke 5, into it in Luke 22, or now John 21, and send you to become the apostle to the Gentiles. See, if Jesus hadn't met him at the place of his failure, Peter would have forever felt like all I'll ever be is the person I once was and my proximity to Jesus was just a season or a moment. And Jesus says, no, it wasn't. It unlocked who you're meant to be. Don't be bound to your failure. Let the failure be restored so your future can be fulfilled. So here's the thing I just, I want to say to you. There's some of you in here, just like there are some in my church, there's some in the church down the street, there's some in the church in Iowa or D.C. or Seattle that are showing up at church wanting God to be close to them, but they're following Jesus from a distance. And either the moment of failure has already occurred and they're bound, or the moment of failure is out in front of them, much like Jesus said to Peter that it was coming. I want to say to you, if you've been wanting God close but following him at a distance, can I just suggest that you close the gap now instead of waiting to the backside of the failure? Can I just say that you, please, please, please take steps to get close now so that you don't underestimate your weakness. You become familiar with what God can do and who he is. You can know that clearly so when you're faced with the opportunity for failure, the weak spot that's unaddressed in you doesn't cause you to break. And if you have broken, the cool part is God doesn't leave us there. You're not left there. Broken marriage, I, I'll, never be, I'll never be able to be used by God. I have no place in the church. Whatever your thing is, I've messed up financially and I'm, I, all of it's gone. I, like, 
I'm just telling you that your failure doesn't have to be a chain. It can be the place God meets you. And here's the cool part. When we see success, we don't see it as our fulfillment, then we don't see our failure as a fatality. Failure isn't the moment we die because we didn't tie our ego and our success to who we are and our identity. Peter, in the moment of his restoration, never once thought how awesome he is ever again. All he could see from this point forward is the declaration of a faithful Savior. And the power of God worked through him in miraculous ways as a result. And that can be you if we'll take our eyes off our success. Would you let me pray for you? Just go ahead and close your notes. Set them aside. Just let me pray for you. Just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you would, right there where you are, just turn your hands up toward heaven. Just kind of a posture of reception. Just You don't have to reach up high if you don't want to, but would you turn your palms up? Father God, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for his work in us. I thank you for the way that he shapes us, the way he shows us, the way he leads us. And Father God, I thank you for your calling on my life and on each one in here, God. Though our purpose may be yet unclear, our failure may be all too familiar. And God, I ask right now by your Holy Spirit that you would break the lie of the enemy that reminds us that we can't be used because of the mistakes and the failures we've had. Lord, I ask you to inspire and equip each one to not only know your calling, but to step away from the place they are and close the distance to you that their future wouldn't be forfeit. Their failure wouldn't be capturing them. That they would know you in a more intimate and deep way and that they would be able to walk in what you've called them to. In Jesus' mighty name.